Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I hope you're very well. My guest this week is magazine editor and author Farah Storr, who joins me to talk about her new book, The Discomfort Zone. I've known Farah for quite a few years now on the magazine circuit. I may or may not have stalked her when I heard she was going to be the launch editor of Women's Health when it came to the UK. By stalking, I mean polite emails. Nothing, nothing to worry about. But um, I know she's a formidable force in publishing. And when Women's Health did launch in 2012 with a tiny team of a couple of people... It had huge expectations, but it achieved those expectations. It met them all, going on to become one of the most successful magazine launches ever, in spite of that tiny team. Or, if you read The Discomfort Zone, because of it. In this conversation, we talk about the fact that being outside of your comfort zone is where the magic happens, and yet we find ourselves in a culture where we're encouraged not to feel that discomfort. It's something, Farah says, that's killing creativity, deadening ambition, and means a whole generation are stifled by fear. I remember a personal trainer telling me years ago that if there isn't a part of your workout that hurts, that you think that you can't do, and you just quit then you're never going to make progress. And it's a similar thing. You have to push through that discomfort to get to the other side. And so I definitely, when I was reading the book, I thought, yep, yep, I get this. This is so true. This is so true. It's not just in the gym. It's in all aspects of life. Um, And it resonated with me as someone who I definitely look back and think I've let opportunities pass me by because I was either too scared of what other people thought or too scared of failure. I'm not sure what I was scared of, but I was definitely ruled and governed by fear. And so I stepped back into my comfort zone rather than stepping into my discomfort zone, which now I've read this book, I realise is one of the best things that you can do. This is Farah's first book. And in the bumper episode that this is, she tells me how she set about writing it while still editing Cosmopolitan and giving TED Talks and the like, and the life experiences that meant that this was her book to write. And there's so much more in this show, there really is. Now, there are a few punchy topics in this episode, so it's only right I give a trigger warning, as some of the discomfort zones might be upsetting for some listeners. But, making her debut, here she is, Farah Store, talking about all manner of things, including her new book, The Discomfort Zone. Here she is on The Emma Gunn Show. Well, I'm very excited. Farah Store is with me, editor, author, all round. Well, the TED Talk, I mean... Oh, there's two now, you know. Yeah, the first one wasn't very good, so I did another one. The first one wasn't very good. (laughs) 
Are you yeah. joking? I was, I was pretty... I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for with the first one, but it's interesting. But the second one, I hope, interestingly, someone did say to me worryingly, oh, the first one's better than the second one. And so because <laughs> there were two years between them, it's not a good sign, is it, if one's got worse than the first one? But, yeah. <laughs> Do you think maybe you're a little bit too hard on yourself? Yes, but 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 that, that uh, I, I've always been, and, and actually... Mm. Um, that's that that's that, that I actually think that's really important sometimes to be quite tough on yourself I've always always believe when people go oh, you're just too hard on yourself mm. I always go well actually that's kind of what makes me strive I think that's where my a lot of my drive comes from totally I think it's the annoying piece of not even advice the annoying observation that a lot of my friends make to me is you're just being a bit too hard on yourself and then I think and then I do think, like you, and a bit like the book that we're going to discuss, amongst many other things, is if I didn't have that, would I have started a podcast? Would I have right. gone into journalism? Yeah, so. you, you need an internal motivation or that little voice. And, and, and for me, that, that if being hard on yourself makes you move forward, it gives you the momentum, then I don't have a, a major issue with it. So yes, in answer to your question, I am right. very hard on myself. <laughs> but it's a good thing. So we've got lots to discuss today. Um, but we're going to leap in with your book, your new book, The Discomfort Zone. Yes, out end of September. Out and will be available when this podcast is live. Yes, can pre-order it, yep. <laughs> and I found this very interesting because for me, it, it uh, for me personally, as somebody who definitely lives on adrenaline and cortisol and quite proudly so, even though I know it's not necessarily that good for me, it allows me, it gives me permission to flip that feeling into a positive right. rather than letting it suck me into a negative hole of why can't I do something? And so my question was, after you explain better than I just have what the book is about, why is this the book that you wrote I think it's the book that I wrote. I mean, first of all, I didn't actually want to write a book. So somebody suggested um, when I was talking, I was talking about my career and um, I was saying it's interesting because the um, the two major successes I would say I've had in my career are one which is launching Women's Health and one which was taking over and revamping Cosmo. And it's probably no... Um, it's probably no coincidence actually both of those were very, very difficult experiences for me. So Women's Health, it was a, a team of, of, there were two other people, so mm -hmm. there was three of us. There was very little budget. My salary was very small. Um, the hours were very long. We had to sell 100,000 copies from issue one um, or we wouldn't launch. Um, so huge amount of, of pressure, a uh, huge amount of constraint. Um, and then Cosmo was, was different, again, because it was a huge, big heritage brand. Um, I had to get it back to being the best-selling young women's magazine, hadn't been for 16 years. Um, and, and unfortunately, along the way, 80%, I think we worked it out the other day, of the team resigned. So interestingly, I found myself kind of back in the same place as Women's Health with a very small team that mm. I had to lead and convince them, actually, that I was the right leader to make a success of this project. So um, when I look back on my career the things which have been most successful are actually the things where I was really put through the, the ringer in a mm. way. They were very, very difficult. But um, actually, I think women's health certainly, because of a lot of the constraints, time constraint, money constraints, we were able to be very creative um, in ways that I don't think... Um, we would have been, had I had big budgets and mm -hmm. had had lots of times, I would have second-guessed things. I would have um, put 
um, things out for committee, and we always know what happens when you you do things by committee, is you end up with a very bland, generic idea. Yeah. Um, you end up, you know, women's health. I ended up going with my gut very much, and actually, I think a lot of the time, as much as we say, you know, guts are just these kind of bunch of woo-woo feelings. Actually, your your gut is pattern recognition. A lot of the time it mm. knows. So um, in answer to your question, um, I think my greatest successes in my career um, and personal life as well, actually, um, have been when I've definitely stepped out of my comfort zone and into the discomfort zone. Um, and I think particularly in the culture at the moment, um, you know, you hear it like universities having these things called safe spaces where, mm. you know, if you feel uh, challenged or you feel uncomfortable. Triggered. Yeah, or triggered, exactly. Yeah. Um, or microaggressions. Um, oh, God. I, I think it's crazy. I think actually, you know, life is pressure, life is tough, but mm. actually you are tougher and you have the capacity to be, be really tough if only mm. you knew how to channel that toughness. And so this book is, you know, if you are feeling... Um, that the world is tough and you don't know what to do about it. Well, like, this is kind of your handbook. And actually, what, what you'll find and what I found researching the book was the human body and mind, it is made to carry a load. It's made to be a little bit under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can achieve incredible things by that. But, but you've got to make the first step, which is stepping into the discomfort zone. And how did you set about writing it? Because in this book, you talk to some incredible people and the anecdotes and the uh, commentary from some of these people. I mean, uh, when you talk about the guy whose name I've now forgotten, but the guy who did um, America's Most Wanted. Oh, yes, John Walsh. I found that paragraph really punched me in the gut. Right. The and story about how he started that. Yeah, so so um, for those of you who don't know, he, he is the kind of grey-haired man behind Most Wanted. Um, but actually, and, and you think he, and for many years I thought he was just a, you know, a very charismatic TV presenter, but of course, um, when I, I did some research for a story on him years ago, actually he lost, his, I mean, his son was, mm. was abducted from a um, department store and was found, um, I mean, he was beheaded, I mean, he was murdered in the most grotesque way. And so out of that absolutely terrible, terrible, like ghastly trauma, um, came something kind of incredible. Of course, he would never have wanted to lose his son, but actually mm. he felt motivated to do something very positive. So America's Most Wanted it was, was launched by John Walsh, as were those milk cartons. I don't know if they still do them anymore in America where they have the kids who vanished mm. have on the back of milk cartons. He came up with that as well. I mean, you know, I think that whole chapter is about how you can turn trauma into triumph. Of mm. course, you hope the trauma doesn't happen in the first place, but actually not everybody is decimated by trauma. Mm. You know, we know about post-traumatic stress, but actually some people grow. And, and the truth is you can have both. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that chapter is very much about, well, if something terrible has happened to you, um, and hopefully nothing is as terrible as what happened to John Walsh and his family, but how do you grow from that, that mm. experience? And, and in the book, I interviewed the woman that was in the 7-7 bombings. Um, I, again, I found that... Re- I've thought about nothing else since I read that. Right, and, 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 you know, terrible, terrible experience, but she made sense of the... Um, she made sense of the experience, mm. and actually now, you know, she's OBE, she runs this incredibly influential charity where she is engaging disenfranchised Muslim youths. Um, she's creating a greater good for the world, which would never have happened. I remember she said to me, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but she was like... 
if that hadn't have happened to me, if I hadn't have been on that carriage when the bomb went off, I think she was between King's Cross and Russell Square, she's like, my life was very much about shoes and bags mm. and it was a very shallow existence because of the trauma I experienced. She said, I have grown in ways. I, I, you know, she speaks to thousands of people across the world. Mm. Um, so the book, that chapter in particular, is about the strength that actually you can have through something terrible happening to you. And I found that, I found all of the anecdotes, the firefighter, everything. And I feel as though I kept coming back to trusting your gut. There's something, there is like um, a rudder that sometimes we forget to, to use. Right. And we get caught up in handbags and shoes and material things. Yes. And actually, it, it can take many things to bring you back to your truth, as it were. Yeah, I think so. Of course, you have to know, I, I guess you have to be able to hone your gut so that your gut is giving you the right mm. information. Um, but yes, I mean, I think ultimately most people know. I mean, it's even like when you are in your discomfort zone, somebody was saying to me, well, how do you know? And I was like, well, you know, it's like when you're doing something scary, your body, it's like, I think I give an example in the book, it's like when you've got um, a bank statement and I you've got it, you've yeah. got the letter, you've got the piece of paper. I used to do this years ago. Actually, I still do, to be completely honest. Um, and you don't know why. It's irrational. You're like, why do I feel really nervous? Yeah. But it's because in, in contained in, in that envelope is is how you spend your money, mm -hmm. how you live your life. So your body, you just have to listen to your body. It tells you. Um, and and I suppose one of the things that I'm really keen on telling people is when you're in your discomfort zone or when you're doing something difficult, and when I say difficult, I mean, you know, in inverted commas, challenging, mm. it's a really good thing. And, and so the important thing to remember is that because you only have a couple of seconds in which you interpret the sweating palms and the beating heart as fear or you interpret it as a challenge state, I think um, scientists call it, which mm -hmm. is you interpret it as excitement. And you have to make that switch very quickly because otherwise you go into panic mode and mm -hmm. you just freeze. Um, and so again it was very important to me in the book that that actually you tell people your body knows the answer but are you listening to it in the right way mm -hmm. and you've experienced the paralysis yeah like like lots of times and actually throughout my career you know I, I've you know god when I used to do first do public speaking which I do a lot of now I mean it was it was awful you know I, I used to think oh my god and, and you know what the paralysis is like you can be stood mm -hmm. there and the, the words don't come or actually the thoughts don't come um, and, and now, and it's a, it's a really subtle thing, you know, now when I when I, I give talks, and even if this is just talks, you know, I still get nervous when I give talks in front of, say, a room full of, like, my colleagues. Mm. But I try and interpret the kind of, you know, the sweating palms, the beating heart. It, it, it's exciting, actually. Um, and, 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 and it stops me from going into that, um, yeah, in, in, into paralysis mode. And it's very important you do it very quickly. Mm. You know, the, the stories you tell yourselves are really powerful, but you've got to be quick. Yes, which is why I think that you have created your own brand of nano meditation. Nano meditation. <laughs> Sounds like nano meditation. I wouldn't. I would fancy some of that. Actually, that's just a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. I have lots of those nano naps for life. No, but this is the joke I made to Farah beforehand. Was oh, I've got a business idea, and it's nano meditation. And I told you, I've got no money, so don't try and pitch me anything that requires lots of money. For the over, for the overstretched, anxious person, it's just a, a nanosecond of clarity to, to get right. clarity. I think you're onto something there. Yeah, great. I'll, I'll run with it. Um, <laughs> Also, so the, this, this moment, I think it's very interesting. I used to do a lot of live TV and a bit like public speaking. And you had an experience where 
you were nervous, you were you were thrown into this situation where there were a lot more people in the room than you were expecting. Oh, there were like 18,000 <laughs> more people than I thought, yeah. And I can imagine the mechanics of your body were working, so you were walking into the room and you walked up the stairs onto the stage, but maybe there was white noise in your head, and then all of a sudden, in that nano-meditative moment, you did something that relaxed the entire situation for everyone involved. Yes, yes, because, I mean, that that... I mean, God, it, it was terrible, really. I mean, I, I was supposed to be interviewing, um, I think he was a, t- a tech founder on stage at a conference. And I ha- it really is my fault because I hadn't really looked it up. But I, but I presume we were on like a smallish stage. Mm. And at that point, I don't think I'd spoken to, you know, the more than maybe like 100 people maximum before. And so I'd agreed to do this conference. And anyway, I turned up. And it was in the biggest arena in 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 in, is it in Europe. It's one of the biggest arenas in Europe, certainly in that country. Um, and it was the main stage, and it was twenty thousand people, and it was absolutely huge. And 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 the terrible thing about it was was the organizer, who was this you know very charismatic, super confident young guy. And this was obviously his thing. He obviously wanted to be like a rock star. And he, I remember <laughs> he came rushing off the stage, and and you know tech guys. Uh, usually very nice guys, but they're not extroverts. Mm. So my job was to make him feel at ease. So, so this young kind of cultish guy comes running off and he goes, guys, um, it's a massive crowd. What we need is we need to get some pictures of you. So you need to hold the crowd for 15 seconds while we get these pictures. And I just, just like, and I could see there was a, a massive clock and you could see the clock ticking down to when we, we were about to be on. So I was like, a long oh, time. 15 seconds to hold 20,000 people. And it was the end of the day. Um, oh, it was just, it was just awful. And, and th- this kind of tech guy looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, oh my God, I mean, because I was basically in, in charge there. Um, and I remember we walked on the stage and... It could have been disastrous, like I could have just froze, but I didn't. And, and I remember thinking, I need to distract them. And so I remember asking everyone, um, it's miraculous that they, they did this. If you ask people questions, it's very it's very clever because they stop thinking about you and start thinking about themselves, so it does distract them. And I remember saying to everyone, so you've all got phones because it's a tech conference, um, and I, I want to take a giant selfie, so can you all turn your lights on on your phones? Um, and... and as if by magic, they did it. So, so I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then um, I think the tech guy then kind of w- w- was, um, he kind of gathered momentum and he was like, right, can you all turn? And we took this amazing selfie with like these 20,000 kind of um, twinkling lights um, and we got the picture. I mean, he got his 15 seconds, they got their picture, we got our mass selfie. And I had control of, of mm. the crowd and after that it, w- it was very easy. But... The reason I think that my body knew what to do, and this comes back to gut, mm. is that actually, um, you know, gut instinct is, you think it's just in your gut. It's not actually, it's all over your body. Mm. Um, it's just that you kind of feel it in your gut. But gut instinct is pattern recognition. So if you've done something enough, and that's why when I talked about you have to hone your gut, you have to keep on putting yourselves in similar-ish situations mm. for your gut to be really... Um, for your gut to be on fire, I suppose. And so because I had done lots of, of, of little bits of public speaking before, I knew that asking a question, one of my one of my real discomfort things is when I walk on a stage and you have to get everyone's attention. Mm. Um, I found that very difficult because um, there's nothing worse than, you know, if you crack a joke and no one laughs. And, mm. and one of the things that I knew was asking questions of people usually creates silence quite quickly. And so because of that, my body knew, my gut knew that you need to ask a question here. Mm-hmm. So gut 
is um, it, it's doing, it's not necessarily doing the same thing over and over again, but it's doing lots of experiences which are similar through which your gut can extrapolate information, which can then kind of save you if you end up mm. like an idiot like I was without <laughs> checking, you know, where you are on the agenda, you know, but arena. Had you known? If don't you know if I'd have done it. That. Yeah, I don't know if I'd have done it. To be completely honest, I mean, now of course I always say yes to things, and I don't. Um, I say yes immediately to lots of things, and I do that because actually, for me personally, if I say kind of think about it, usually I'll say no, mm. and so actually I say yes, yes, and then I figure it out. I just go, yep. you will always find a way to make something work. So. Actually, it's probably not true. If I had been told it was in this huge arena with 20,000 people, I would have said yes. And then I would have, afterwards, not panicked, I would have figured out a plan because, you know, all you ever want in life, all anyone wants, I think, and we don't have this, of course, but you want the illusion of control, that you're mm. in control of your life. Um, and I think by saying yes, by then formulating a plan of how am I going to get through this talk of 20,000 people, if I have a plan, if you have a plan of things, it makes it 80% easier. Mm. It reminds me a little bit, I um, spoke to Jo Fairley recently and she writes features all the time and I was saying to her that it doesn't matter who commissions me, what the feature is, I will always have that same nerves that I used to get on like when I used to do work experience of having the blank piece, of having the carrot, yeah. the cursor, I still call it the carrot because, <laughs> you know, 1980s, um, flashing and I still get like a surge of adrenaline cortisol whatever it is but it's that panic thing and she thought it was quite interesting and and she said well when someone says to me how long does it take you to write a feature I tell them two hours and 30 years <laughs> yes is right she, she's absolutely right yeah but but wouldn't you say that that that's a good thing I would mm. love to know that my writers feel that surge of adrenaline before they put pen to paper or you know um you know fingertip to what do we do now everyone types no one uses pen and paper anymore but, oh I do but but but, but it, it mm. motivates you because you know to, to, to do your best I mean I think if you felt completely comfortable, I mean, we all know what it's like, isn't it? If you if you are just dashing, you can tell when people have dashed off a feature. Mm -hmm. When it lands on my desk, I can tell when something's lazy. I can tell when someone's just doing it to get the money. You can tell when someone's laboured over it. You can tell it from the first sentence. And that's probably what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of the dream because that's what pushes you, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all need push and actually adrenaline of course, if it doesn't tip into full-on panic mode, adrenaline is that internal, you know, um, motivation. So I've, I'm the same. I always feel every time I get something new to write or a commission um, or even doing this, you feel a little bit on edge, but actually totally. get comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling because that's what's going to do the work for mm. you. It's going to get you through. And I remember I've been doing um, QVC, so live on right. air for about three years and I was in a tra changing room before going on air and before I would go on air you'd get like in your dress and everything and I'd have to have at least three panic weeks. Do you have to have special <laughs> panic weeks? Yes I get those. Do you have to have special dresses for QVC? Oh no it's just that I used to have like a QVC wardrobe. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a bright blue dress and a, a bright red dress. Based on any any sort of? Oh the science of people like bold bright colours. Right okay. <laughs> Did you sell more when you had the red dress on? Um I never looked into that, actually. But actually, now you say it, that would have been my first question to someone who posited that they wore a blue and a red. How interesting. Maybe. Who knows? I might have to go through the old data. Anyway, I remember being in the dressing room, and I'd been doing it for, for a long time. And somebody came in, and I said, oh, excuse me, I've just got to go and have a panic wee. And I may, obviously made light of Did it. Did you tell them it was a panic wee? Always. Okay, I, I yes. have no filter. Right. Um, I just always had to make sure I did well, it. Well, it's good I was because when up. you do that, don't you find it's a test of people? Because you can see 
it's like I always find if the more open I am, mm. it's a very it's a, it's a test of whether you're going to get on with that person. So mm. if you start talking about panic wheeze and they're just shocked, you, you get a measure of someone with, or it's just because we're getting old and it's like <laughs> those naughty elderly people who are just, just say rude things to wind people up, of course. No, I agree with you. I'm very honest and I find that it, it means it um, makes it very easy to bring people close to yeah. me because they like get my humour. Or people think I'm a basic bitch and just don't want to spend any time with me. <laughs> right, so you either get amazing honesty from them and they open up or they hate you. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. do you know what? Divisiveness is good, I think. I think so. And I remember saying, and I said I had to go for a panic wink. When I came back, she said, are you nervous? And I said, oh, God, every single time. And I said, is that bad? And she said, no, no, the day that you're not nervous before you go on air is the day that you need to stop doing it. Yeah, yeah. So QVC is just probably full of these people pumped with adrenaline in red dresses. <laughs> it is it is a hurry up and wait situation. It is. It's um, very, very tiring. So, so do you have the people on before you and you see how well they've done and then you're carted on? Yeah. So is it very competitive as well? Um, actually, I've made some of my really great friends as a grown-up in the green room at QVC, Aww. like other guest presenters. But you don't get competitive with how much you sell? Well, I certainly didn't. And the people that I'm friends with certainly didn't. There were people there who were competitive, but they're not on my speed dial. (laughs) Because I just think we're all selling completely different things. It's interesting, but you see the numbers, don't you? Yeah, you you do. You see how much you're selling. So it's like, sell more, sell more. But then if someone that you, someone's having a bad sale or someone's having a great sale, you say, you you offer your condolences or congratulate accordingly. I'm quite fascinated by QVC. We can take that offline. <laughs> Sadly, never been asked to go on, but I, I, I've been fascinated what would you sell? by it. Oh, God. God. Apart from the book. Shame I couldn't sell my book, really. I don't know what they I'd do sell. They do sell books on QVC. Do they? Mm-hmm. Oh, discomforts. I, mm. Do you know what? I think if you're at home watching <laughs> um, QVC, you're probably quite happy in your comfort zone, <laughs> to be honest. I'd be, you know, if you're watching it at four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, yeah, I don't think you need Maybe my you book buy in your it for life. A friend. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Um, another thing that you mentioned was, um, well, what I would say is journaling, where you st- where you you have always been somebody who writes a right. lot. Um, but then, the thing I was saying to you earlier about the conclusion that I've drawn between the book and some other thing. In fact, we'll go into that first, and okay. we'll come back to that. So we'll talk about friendships. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about this in terms of being. Um, sensitive and I reading your book and reading it through my eyes which is through the eyes of a very sensitive person I saw quite a lot of symmetry between some of the stories you told and some of my experiences and especially in that TED talk when you talk about your inner child who came to the rescue at just the right time I I was in tears by the way when I was watching that I watched it several times and I watched it again this morning before I came in here and I really did well up Oh, well, I think, yeah, because I, I think your inner child is very easy to become, you know, tethered away from them, isn't it? Mm. I, I think, and, and actually, I think the sometimes you have to be. I mean, I, you know, God, it's so long ago I did that talk. But um, when, I, when I say to people, you know, I, I'm really an introvert, people, I mean, they actually laugh in my face. They're like, I can't believe that. And I was like, yeah, but, but the, the world has required me to be something other mm. in order to get ahead. And, and, you know, there's a lot, there's lots of arguments for, well, you know, the world should bend and should allow people to be themselves, which, of course, is my point. But that's going to take a very, you know, I'm mm. a pragmatist as well. And and so, but but I think it's very, um, it's very sad, isn't it, people that, that, that lose their, I think it's losing your way, isn't it? I think when you are a child, I think, 
And while I was talking with, with my only child in, in that TED talk, what I was like is like a nine or 10 year old where you're pretty much kind of roughly formed. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of my life, because I thought you had to go out into the working world and be somebody else in order to succeed. And Emma, the truth is, that worked. It you does. know, it did work if I had stayed as this quiet, timid child. I don't think I would be where I am today. I mean, that is the hard truth. Um, but I think maybe, you know, I think people get upset at that TED Talk because I think people do lose their way. They forget who they are. But but you can find it is the other thing. I mean, actually, I feel very, very close to my inner child now because um, I my, my massive new passion in life uh, is, is gardening. I'm obsessed with it. And actually, gardening with my dogs is pretty much what I used to just play in the garden with my dogs when I was a little girl. So mm. actually, I found a way of actually... I can't be that little girl at, at um, work. It's not appropriate. My team wouldn't want it from me, mm-hmm. actually. I think they want a leader who, even if you're not always in control of the situation, mm-hmm. they want to feel some... You're, you've got yeah. a leader who knows what they're doing. But but there are other ways that, that you can reconnect, and that's how I do it when I go home. Mm-hmm. You know, That's why I moved out to the country. I don't live in London anymore. It's because I'm an introvert. I like solitude. Um, I like nature. That that's who I always was, and actually now, as I'm heading into, you know, forty in a few months, it was very important that I become much closer to that person. I'm rambling. I, I understand that. You're not <laughs> rambling at all. I find this really interesting. I also think that um, enjoying your own company and deciding that you like being by yourself is something I personally have been criticised for enjoying and doing, and I've had it projected. Like, there's me trying to live my best life by having a dream job, you know, living where I want to live, yeah. wearing the clothes I want to... And then there will always be someone saying, but you're missing that. Right. And so other people project projected a black hole onto my life, and it took a real kind of heels in the ground going, actually, my life is fine, and I'm not... I don't feel like I'm missing something. You think I'm missing something. Depends how strong your internal voice is, I suppose. I mean... One of the things that, that that we've we've talked about is you obviously had a big friendship circle who were telling you one thing and mm. I, and, I, and I don't know you well enough to but but obviously when you have people telling you you should be doing this or you should be behaving that way it is actually very hard mm. to to pull yourself away. I mean I. Um, I've said to you, I don't have a big friendship circle. I mean, I really don't have many friends at all. If if like I have one or two, mm-hmm. uh, and and two reasons one I'm very very happy and very content with with my own company I mean but but, you know I get the same thing Mm. I get people going loneliness is a killer you know (laughs) you need to be really careful and I was like I'm I'm aware of that Mm. but 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 actually um you know I I think it's very hard if you have if you have a a lot of voices telling you to be one thing I don't have those voices Mm. and also I think I know myself at 40 pretty well but it's hard it's really hard and you have to either make a break with those people Mm. or of course they have got your best interests at heart and you have to be strong enough to go totally get it but I'm happy on 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 on, you know just sat in the flower bed on Mm. on 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 a Sunday afternoon (laughs) with with my dogs thanks very much that makes me very happy yeah exactly does that make you happy is that your thing no (laughs) no that's my thing movies make me happy right movies and reading and I, I need a lot of recharge downtime right and I make no apologies for it anymore. I used to. I used to feel really guilty about sitting down on a Sunday afternoon and just being in my own company. Really? Yeah. See, I find that, I do find it very hard to sit and read, which is a shame. So mm-hmm. that's why the gardening is good, because it's constant, it's constant struggle. It's constant, you know, the thing about mm-hmm. gardening is you can't control it. You can't, certainly can't tame it. 
it, it, it's full of um, it's full of predators. You are constantly having to work. So if you are, um, and I hate this phrase, type A, but if you are, if you are quite type A, gardening's really good for you because a it kind of takes control of you. But you're constantly doing something. Whereas now it makes me sad to sit in silence and read. I feel really guilty, and that's a terrible thing. It's really bad, which is why. I found, you know, I was like, I've got to have a hobby because otherwise my life mm. would be work. We don't have kids. Um, so while everyone else is kind of raising human beings, I'm not doing anything in my downtime. And mm. I did go through a period last year where I was like, all I'm doing is working, so I need to find something. And I, could, I can't switch off just sat reading because it feels... That's very close to what you do for work as well. It's also very... Because you end up editing it all in your head or going, <laughs> I'll never write a sentence like, you know, like, like this. Um... So, yeah. That's the only thing I have, two TBR piles. I've got the piles of books that I'm reading because publishers have sent them to me and said, do you uh, think this would be a good podcast? And I've got the, the Oh, that TBR would panic pile. me, the big pile. It does. Yeah. It, and I've got the pile of stuff that I genuinely want to read. And right. all of that's like transcendental meditation. <laughs> and which, which pile goes down quickest? It's the work one. The work one, yeah. Because I feel, because there's an obligation to somebody else. Yeah. And, and you know, people will say, oh, that that's so sad, that's so tragic, Emma. And I would say... Well, I found a job that I love doing. Mm -hmm. This is part and parcel of the job. So actually, it's not so sad. Do do, Mm. do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. So I'm kind of over people that go, how tragic for you. You just need time for you. Sometimes the work is pretty important as long as the work is meaningful Mm. for you. I get the impression, obviously, this is Mm. you found what what makes you tick. Very much. And you've spoken a lot um, in the last year or so about the fact that you made the decision not to have children and the effect that that has had. And you said something in one of your interviews that I can relate to so, so much in that... You don't have kids, right? I don't have kids. And I. it's not that I necessarily may... I've never been in a position where it's come up in a, shall we have children? Okay, fine. But I have never had a very strong urge to have children. Okay. Um, But I can relate to what you said about you now have friends who are much younger than you or much older than you. Yeah. Because my friends that I came up with in the magazine industry for the most part, are now parents. Yes, and And that's really hard, and they probably won't raise their... A friend of mine who's a parent, he made me laugh, he goes, um, he's a mutual friend of mine and my husband's, he said, God, I still think the coolest thing in the world is Shed 7. And he goes, (laughs) do you know why that is? He goes, it's because when I started my family, they are my priority. I don't have time to kind of come up for air and think about culture and what's going on. So he's like, so I've got this... He goes, I've got like a temporary... This is just him, he's a very funny writer. Brain freeze... And, and he was saying it like it was a bad thing. And I was like, no, but that's absolutely right. You are you are raising, you know, your little army. And yeah. and, and, and so, yes, yeah, so a lot of, of lot of people that we used to know now have um, mm-hmm. uh, now have families of their own. And so I never felt that it was right for me to impose myself in them because they've got a lot of work mm-hmm. ahead of them. And so those friendships, they, they, they kind of, um, they tether out to sea a little bit. And I think they come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you're you're left in a, a situation where, okay, well, who's available? Much younger people. Um, I tend to really like old people. I've just always have liked old people. They're funny. They're obnoxious. They're, um, they've, they've lived a bit, you know, they've got edges. Um, I like people with edge. So, so, so in terms of looking for new friends, it's like, where am I going to go to find new friends? Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's like, I, I, I really salute people who, who can do it all. And, you know, of course, it was my magazine that said you can have it all. It's not true, of course. I, I always say, if you have it all, you've actually got nothing because you're not actually doing anything properly. And and, and I, I decided that I couldn't have the career. I couldn't have the marriage. I think a lot of people think about, well, it, it, it's career or kids. If you're married, you know, 
I know a lot of people whose marriages have suffered because people don't put that into that equation. Mm -hmm. You've got to look after your marriage as well. And so for me... First of all, I struggled to have kids. We did half-heartedly try. I remember the fertility violence used to get dust on it. And my husband was like, this isn't any good, is it? So I know. Um, and then we went down the route of IVF. And I remember I got there and, and she was telling me, oh, I think we were about to get started. And I just went home and I was like, this isn't for me. You know, I, I just don't think this is for me. And unfortunately, Will was like, this is not for me either. And, and you know, our careers are really important, but also each other. He was my best friend for many mm. years. Uh, that kind of overrode our compulsion to have kids I mean I guess I'm, I'm I'm lucky I always say to people you have to remember I'm really lucky though because my desire to have children it was like a flickering flame it was not this burning desire mm. that a lot of women talk mm. about and that's really hard I think I'm lucky that I've never had that um and you know we'll die alone but um <laughs> you know we will um well I but, well the thing is is um broodiness is hormones right exactly and I have had so many people say to me, and I do worry that when I hit perimenopause, all of a sudden that hormone balance is going to go broody and I'm going to become that person who goes, oh my God, I wasted the last 15 years. I genuinely now looking at you in the eyes don't want to bear a child, but I worry about what hormones do because hormones are strong mother efforts. Yeah, and that's why you have to you have to really thought about your decision. Mm. I have thought really long and hard about this. It, it, it is not for me, and it could change. Yeah, and, and you know, I did have a, a like a a wobble uh, like last year. I saw a child on a train, and I got really teary. And I suddenly panicked and I was like, God, I've made this pattern of my husband now, which is he really doesn't want them and what if I change my mind? And of course I didn't, you know, it, I, it was just a kind of wobble. Um, but yeah, it might all change. That's why you have to really, you have to really stand by your decision. Mm. It's like we said, you, you can't have it all. You have a moment, you have a window and you've got to, you know, you're closing it or you're keeping it open. And, and, and I think once you've made the decision, it's like in everything in life, you mm. can't have the wobble, you can't be popular and lead a team, you can't have both things because what ends up is you're not very good at any of it. So with decisions, uh, I think, you know, I mean, the thing is, of course, Emma, is if you did decide you want children, you could, you know. I mean, I... I I would like, I think, probably children in my life. So I'm starting to do quite a bit of charity work with, with, with kids at the moment. That's how I mm. kind of compensate, I yeah. suppose. So um, completely forgotten my point. But, 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 but <laughs> no, yeah, you've got to be firm on your decision. And also it comes back to um, you can't have it all. No. You... And why should you want it all? Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like having it all and doing it all are two very different things. And, mm. and I honestly do think that... When the Cosmo editor in the in the in, in the sixties, but of course she wrote the book Having It All, and in, in the eight I think eighty two, it was well meaning, and actually it's what the culture needed at the time because mm -hmm. actually that that call to arms for women was you can have it all, and that got the momentum going for women. So women were like brilliant, it's all up for grabs. But of course, and I saw this with my mother growing up in the eighties. My mother was a working mother. She had a family of four. Um, she she had it all. She didn't have an amazing marriage and she didn't have any time for herself. Um, and I remember looking at that having it all, thinking that's what I'm supposed to want, but it did look an awful lot like doing it all. Mm. And, and they're not the same thing. They're, they're really not. And the irony is I only found this out recently is that actually Helen Gurley Brown, who was the Cosmo editor, she really fought to not call, call it having it all because actually she didn't have children either. 
Um, she wanted to call it the Mouse Burger, which was kind of this phrase she had for, for kind of plucky young women who came from the suburbs and made it in the big city. But it was the publishers who were like, no, you, you, it's going to be called Having It All. And I think it did a lot of damage. I think it was well-meaning to start mm. with, but, but I, I think it's not, it's not the right message, actually, especially with what's going on in culture at the moment and anxiety. It's like, why would you tell people, not only sh- can, can you have it all, you should want to mm-hmm. have it all, Maybe you don't want to have it all. I didn't want to have it all because I didn't think I could do it all. Yeah. And I think what makes it doubly toxic is not only is it you can have it all, you should want to have it all, but and I, also take a look at Instagram. Here's what it looks like. And that's so fake and such nonsense. That's it, yeah. I mean, I, I hope with Instagram, I really do hope... And look, I love Instagram. It's... I hope people are starting to realise... I mean, maybe they don't. You know, maybe in our groups, people realise, oh, you know... Mm. I mean, even to the... To, I'm sure you know people, as do I, who they don't ever look like that. Yep. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm really... I suppose the jury is out. I was talking to the girls in the office about this. Is actually, if you're like a 13-year-old growing up in Manchester, are you aware of, of, of the unreality behind the reality that they're presenting? Um, and, of course, that they found. I mean, this is not sure that... I'm sure I'm, I'm misquoting this, but I think Instagram, out of all the social platforms, is the worst for mental health, and you can see why. I would absolutely imagine it. Yeah. I mean, it's a real problem, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, the, the kids, which are, I call them kids, the young young people, God, I do sound like a nana. I do need to do <laughs> nana meditation. Um, but, but you you know, suicide now is a, is a, a real problem. Um, and I was saying to someone, I was like, it's interesting because I know more people now um, who have committed suicide. Um, actually, I think there's another phrase now, you're not actually supposed to say that, but um, then say when I was growing up or say my mum's, and, and, and this may this is based on nothing, but I do wonder about, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s um, and early 2000s, you know, we were told that high self-esteem, build kids to have high self-esteem, mm-hmm. the X factor thing, tell them they're brilliant and mm-hmm. they can do anything. And I think it's really dangerous because I think if you go out there and you see it on X factor when the gran and granddad are there and they put their kid forward and the kid is terrible. Mm-hmm. And then the kid comes off because Simon Cowell said, you're just not talented enough and you're never going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, of course, Simon Cowell is, is doing them a service in a way. And, um, and what, I'm trying to get my head around at the moment is like if you are told to be brilliant and our parents have told us you'll be brilliant you can do whatever you want and then the world sends you a different message that's really hard Mm -hmm. and 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 I wonder whether a lot of issues I mean I, I have a real issue with Instagram and I think women do it in particular is I'm sure you have seen this is someone will put a picture up and sometimes it won't be a particularly good picture of them and people will just be like you're on fire there'll, there'll be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things um which are supposed to be female empowerment, but 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 I saw this recently. But it was with a lady that I know. It was a terrible picture of her. She's a beautiful woman. It was a really terrible picture, and yet all these people were 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 saying it's a, you know you know amazing, beautiful. And I don't know again if that if that's a good thing because actually, if people tell you one thing and then you go out into the world and the world gives you a different message. That's really dangerous place to be, I think. Well, it's the anti-social media, and it's that I forget the formula, but it's something like the reason why all these millennials are so depressed and an- anxious is because reality is not meeting expectation. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of I didn't, I didn't even know this because I'm not a parent. I didn't know, I don't know what happens at sports days. My memory of sports days is that I was rather rubbish. 
I was made to do front crawl or breaststroke or something, but I came in last and I could see, no, it was backstroke and I could see, I was like the last one, I was flailing around trying to finish my second lap and the games teacher's just slowly walking by the side (laughs) of the pool, just making eye contact with me, just going, oh, this is sad. Shaking the head. But that was character building in a way because I learned what it was like to not only lose but to lose really quite monumentally and to know how it feels to lose so when you lose you know I don't ever want to be there again Mm. so I've got to find something I'm really good at yeah and and were you going to say the participation medals the medal for 14th exactly I didn't realize that you've got like gold silver bronze and you've got violet pink and all of these same with the markings you know homework not to be in in violating red pen to, to be in you know greens and pinks and and of course as most things are I don't want to demonize anyone it is well-meaning so mm-hmm. so the the method behind that was you know high self-esteem is a brilliant thing well of course what what we now know um well actually um this is a plug but but it's not meant to be is is my husband's book selfie which is about millennials the the, the self-esteem movement which was about you got to raise kids with high self-esteem mm-hmm. It was based on a lie that they they cooked. It was supposed to have been based on scientific studies, but but Will tracked down one of the guys who was on the self esteem task force, I think, and he said, <laughs> we, 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 "Yeah, we, um, we 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 fudged it." So actually, whole cultures, Western cultures, have been created on the myth of building very very high self esteem, mm. um, which could of course relate to the the high rise in narcissistic tendencies now. And it wasn't even based on anything. So it's not to say what we grew up with was better, but but you do wonder, I think, knowing what it feels like to be, um, to lose mm. is a really important feeling, actually. And uh, well, I, agree, I 100% agree. And I will always use the example of, I remember being at school one day and I was supposed to go into um, prep because my mum wasn't picking me up till five. Right. And you I had just, one of those. Yeah. Yes. You can't just have free reign of the school. Yeah. So I had to go and do my homework in one of the classrooms, which was obviously supervised back then. And my friend's mum, my friend Serafina, had gone off to go and play netball. And I remember it yeah, so distinctly. Serafina. Serafina. Wow. You didn't go to my school. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she, her mum had come to pick her up, but Serafina was um, off with the netball team, playing netball right. with another school. And Ben, her little brother... Um, needed to be distracted while she went down to the payphone in the May building to make a call because this was in the years before mobile phones. Right. So she said, Emma, will you stay with Ben and just entertain him for five minutes while I go and make this call? Absolutely. I wasn't in prep. I got detention and got lines. Why? Because I should have been in prep. I should have oh, said, I, I can't look after Ben. I see. I see. But it was like, you know, friend's mum, who I used to spend weekends with. and Yes. Can't do it or have it all. You no, you can't do it or have it all. So I was given lines, and my that evening, I, my mum picked me up, and I, I've been given lines. I've got to write. I will not, not, not go to prep or whatever it was. And I, my mum was like, she was just trying to do a nice thing for Patricia. It's not really. Yeah. Come on. And this one was like, no, absolutely not. She's writing those lines. I wrote them through tears I took them in the next day I put them on her desk she didn't even look at them no she went put her hand on the top screwed it up and put it in the bin next to her without even acknowledging me and how did that make you feel it still makes me angry really but I appreciate that I never didn't go to prep again right and it made me know my place which actually in a school was important for me to know that there are rules and they need to be followed I think yeah that's it and then that I, I suppose you know, and also I suppose it's about there's a hierarchy and you mm-hmm. had to respect that, you know, where you were there. And, and that's why it's interesting, isn't it, at the moment, talking about flat hierarchies, you know, which kind of 
is 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 um, doesn't make any sense. Flat hierarchy, flat structures, even mm. where you actually don't have any hierarchy. I'm I'm still undecided as to whether I think that's that's right or or, mm. or or whether actually you need leaders. I don't think it's really interesting with hierarchy because actually you you can be a leader, but you always have to and you have to constantly prove yourself as a leader. I was saying this to someone in my team. It's like I would never ask. I, I always work later hours than my my. Um, my team actually that's not true well I take stuff home because I live very far out but I I probably put in more hours I I still edit most pages in the magazine I still write for the magazine because if you're going to ask someone to do something they've got to know a that you can do it better than them Mm -hmm. Um, although a lot of my team are much better writers than me Um, and and that you would be prepared to do it yourself I think the old school hierarchy of just because I'm the boss you do what I say that I'm I'm not sure about that I I think those days are gone Mm -hmm. But I do still think people want leaders. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I think that the, the structure can be flattened a little bit, i.e. Um, leaders are more approachable mm-hmm. and you can talk to them. But I don't know if it should be completely flat because I, you know, I said to someone, they said, what do you look for in when you're hiring someone? I said, you know what I just want in life? I want somebody to lean across the table. I don't actually want this, but in my dreams, this is what happens. So I'm having a really hard day and someone leans across the table and goes... I was going to say they've put their hand on, on my hand, but actually they've been done for harassment. Um, <laughs> they, 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 and they just say, I'm going to take care of this for you. All you want is to know that mm, somebody mm. knows what they're doing and they, they know the direction. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. No travel. So mm. again, I've gone wildly off point, but, 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 but leadership is... Is, is interesting and and I think good leaders I think you're right like your prep school teacher they have to they have to, to discipline I think mm. it's really important people probably go that's so old-fashioned you would probably say it was a good thing horrible at the time I mean yeah and I still think oh she was such a bitch about I mean she it. was pretty nasty yeah about it. yeah <laughs> but even so I I do think all of those things are really important whereas what I understand now is that people like me who had that experience and who wouldn't want it for their kids? If that does happen to their kids, they go into the school and say, "Don't do that." Right. And then that, that it has eroded the ability for teachers to be able to do that. But yeah, they are important. It's important to have disciplinarians and role models and all of yeah. these things in society. And that is really getting off topic. But it does seem to yes, be that. Yes. Yeah. Here we are. Sorry. That is. <laughs> that is. Edit this all out. <laughs> no. 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 Um, and also, what was I going to say? It would be interesting what you're saying about you have to be able to do the jobs that you're asking of your team. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've never... Um, people go, oh, you're quite young to be an editor. And it's like, not really. All I've done... Because actually what I've done is I have done... Every, the route that I've come up, which is features, I have been 
features assistant, then I was uh, junior writer, then features writer, senior writer, deputy commissioning editor, uh, features editor, features director, associate editor. So I have done every single step of a job. I've never had any big, bold leaps. Mm. Um, I've not stayed very long, and that was strategic, so I could earn more money. Yeah. But it was really, really important. That's why I say to people, don't don't want to, to leap so far ahead because actually when you get to the top, you want to be able to understand, A, understand everybody's pressures and stresses. So mm-hmm. hopefully I can still remember what it's like as, as a junior when you're agreeing to do everything, but actually you're really struggling underneath. Um, so, so you should be able to do every single job really well mm-hmm. on a magazine before I think, not just on a magazine, in any corporation. In um, I think those are the best leaders because they truly understand the struggles and stresses and the high points, what motivates mm-hmm. people. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so it's worked for me. I wish that the first TED Talk that you did is something that I could have seen 15 years ago. Oh. Because I stayed in a job for a really long time, nearly 10 really? years. Wow. Hoping that if I worked a little bit harder, the pay rise would come. If I worked a little bit harder, the promotion would come. And so I just kept throwing. And now when I look at it, my current brain would not compute it in the same way. But What would your then, current brain have said? Get out. get out yeah because it never comes if, if you're waiting and you're asking mm. more than once or twice it's not going to come and actually it's like those boyfriends isn't it that you know if you want to get them back you go and date somebody else <laughs> you, you, yeah that, that 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 is the reality of it you've got to keep moving and if your employer and of course there are reasons why because because there are some imp- employers who are like if, they, if they're honest with you and go a i don't have the money mm-hmm. but as soon as i do Let's work towards that for you, but you've got to do X, Y, Z in order mm. for me to unlock that money for you. Or I've always been honest with people in my, my career and gone, do you know what? I don't want to lose you. I've done this with actually, wherever I've been a boss, I've done this to a lot of people. And, and it breaks my heart, but actually really good, really fair leaders, because I'm not saying I'm a good leader. I'm sure there's lots of people who say I'm not, but really fair leaders should understand that you only get brilliant people for a very short amount of time. Mm. You don't get to keep them. And if they're really good, it's a really short amount of time. And there are a couple of people, including two junior people I've got at the moment. I mean, my, my editorial assistant, actually, she, um, she slash she's my PA. She's, she's a real, she's an exceptional exceptional young journalist and so I said to her probably not allowed to say this but but um I said you know you need to start thinking soon about your next job and she's like but I'm really 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 happy at Cosmo and I was like that's great I said but you know what if you want to end up editor I think it's never a good idea to have been the person that's making the teas who then ends up the boss Mm. and of course in some companies that works but there will always be people who will still treat you like the person that made the teas and did the photocopying um but also it's like you need to start thinking about earning more money. You know, you and I know you don't go into journalism for the money. You do because you love it. Mm-hmm. But you do want to get paid properly. Yeah. And so both to her um, and, and to many other juniors I've worked with, I'm like, you need to be thinking about your next job because you can come back to work for me, but come in a few years and then your pay is going mm-hmm. to increase. If you keep sitting there waiting, hoping it's going to come, it's not, you know, you should want me chasing you to get you back. Yeah. And and that's that's the reality. And it can be very upsetting for some people because, you know, like Danny, she I mean, she's only been in the job, you know, not so long. But but it's hard because if you're in a job you really like, you want to stay mm. there. But the fair thing is, is to set them free, isn't it? What do they say? If totally. you set a bird free and it doesn't come back, it was never yours to begin with. Exactly. You know, so that's the fair thing to do. And I have a friend who um, edits 
it was like a an overseer. I'm making it sound much grander than it is, <laughs> but um, over lots of different titles. And the, the, the whenever anyone comes in and he's given them a job, he will say, "And I'm going to give you this piece of advice: apply for every job that you think you're qualified for." Right outside of everything here. Outside of everything here, because that's the only way you're going to know your value. And that's yeah. the only way you're going to get the right practice. Yeah. And he says, I know that it means I'm going to lose really good people that I want to keep forever. But the last thing you want is somebody really good who gets jaded and bored and feels no. undervalued because you can't give them more money. And then they go into their comfort zone, don't they? Mm-hmm. So they get toxic with it, actually. Uh. So, no, he's absolutely right. Of course, you hope... I think the, the, the minimum I stayed in a job was six months, which is probably not right, because I think any less than that, if you leave before that, you have got to rinse also every job out of much information and as much Mm. I think sometimes again I was saying to someone recently you know managers kind of forget that your duty is to pass on the information you know that is your job is to pass on like a grandparent here's everything I learnt here's everything I failed at here's everything I was really good at and here's this is what I'm giving to Mm -hmm. you and I think some managers don't do that because they're so and it's really hard because you have to make the time to do it but I said to to some of the younger girls that come into the office if your manager's not doing that just ask them most of them will be thrilled to and those that don't you're probably not working for the right person Mm -hmm. your job is to pass on your skill set to to someone else And, and I think you know people talk about millennials being entitled and, and, and saying, can I have some time with you? I think that's the right thing to do. You have to remind your manager mm-hmm. that duty of care is to look after you and is to, expa- is, is to help you grow. It's absolutely true. And also yeah. I was talking to a friend recently who got a new job and was basically in a, in a big board meeting and was like, I'm not learning anything in here. And I just said, well, um, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Sorry. Totally. Advice I would never have taken 10 years ago, but, but it's just like the know. learning. It's just, if I'm if I'm in a room and I feel like I can't learn anything, I'm in the wrong room and I have to leave it. And well, that isn't that me. quote, isn't there, that if you're, yeah. what is it, something about, uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. It, it's totally right. And again, being in a room where you're not the smartest person mm. in the room feels uncomfortable. It feels challenging, but that's right. So that's why you've got mm. to be comfortable with it. I remember as a young beauty journalist, and bearing in mind that I came from local newspapers okay. and then via work experience got this incredible job on this very, very well-known um, high-profile magazine. So you didn't want to go into beauty? I did. Oh, you did? I did, and I'd set my sights on it. So you could right. say I manifested, and that's something I wanted to ask you about the discomfort okay. zone. Because it does feel like if you manifest something, if you request it from the universe, it does deliver to you far. Right. Um, but I got this job, and I, it, it was just overwhelming and, and incredible. I've completely... Oh, no, on these um, beauty trips, and I would end oh, yeah. up on like a first class cabin of a Eurostar heading to Paris with these people whose pages I'd been reading for years oh, right, yeah. and I didn't say a word for years because I was just absorbing everything and have you told any of those people now or a little bit like but it's funny because a lot of them are my buddies now like I used to really yeah like Nadine Bagger on Hello Magazine she used to own you can't get a word ed- in edgeways with her anyway would she have spoke to you Absolutely, yeah, she would have she spoken just didn't to me. Know that you were just too scared to say anything. Yeah, and yeah. I would just and and if I did say something, I'd probably end up oversharing because it was something. Right, it, it was that thing of nerves of discomfort zone. In which case, I'll tell you about that time <laughs> I got lines from my that panic teacher. Piece. Let me tell you about a panic piece. 
Yeah, but I know. But again, but because I was the youngest and because I knew the least, if as it were, I would just if they started talking about products, I would shut up yeah. and listen. And that's hard. That mm. is really hard. I mean, I, I do understand that because, um, and 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 that, I don't think that's just an age thing. That's a personality type mm. as well. Because I had a girl just come up to me this morning, and she stood in front of me and she put a hand out and she went, "Hi, I'm the new work experience here." And, and, and it was like brilliant I love and, that. and amazing. Mm. However, which may have been you, certainly has been me, I said to um, Danny, I said, we need to come up with a much more regimented process for work experience because that girl is going to be okay in life. She's confident. The fact she can come over to me and barge mm. while in the middle while I'm in the middle of editing something, brilliant. But there will be someone who will be just as talented who, uh, again, like you... Mm. Certainly, that person was me who feels they can't or they feel pushy by doing it. Mm-hmm. I said, so we need to make sure that they get time in with me, but we engineer it in mm-hmm. a way. So on those beauty trips, and I'm not blaming the poor, lovely PR who put you up, no doubt, in a lovely hotel and <laughs> put you in the first-class carriage. But but I, again, this comes down to the leadership thing, doesn't it? It's like if you see somebody who's struggling, mm. you, you've got to help. You've got to engineer it so that they're part of the, of the conversation. But I think you and I have a similar problem. Which is? We don't look like we're struggling. No, no, there is that, yeah. Because going back to the TED talk about your inner child was the thing of you in a job, you were having a great old time, and then somebody said, we Not need to have enough, a word. Basically. Yeah, you're, you're chaotic. <laughs> you're terrible at your job, actually. Well, you're good at one half of your job, and you're dreadful at the other half. But the other, but nobody was, all anybody was seeing was their train tickets not being booked. Right. But what they weren't, because... The other thing they were seeing was you walking through the office looking confident. And, yeah. and again, that's probably the reason why in two instances you've been asked to launch a magazine and completely re... Well, launch a magazine and then relaunch a, yeah. an yeah. existing brand. And that once is once, but twice is incredible. Yeah. Why only like the hard jobs? They, they have a hard job in, in this company. Why do you think go, people come to you for Because that's a big uh, deal. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I probably... Well, I guess going on to your first thing, you're absolutely right. It's very difficult to know when somebody is struggling. Mm. And that's why you just have to make... Um, I don't like using the word safe space. Uh, really don't, because, of course, it has connotations of what we were talking yeah, about before, yeah. which is when you're easily offended. Um, and I think you should be exposed to, 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 to points of view you don't always agree with. Is You know, that is character building. Mm. But I do think you should be, you should be running... In my opinion, you should be running a team if you can, because not all corporations allow for this, of course. So it's easy for me to say as a magazine editor who gets quite a lot of autonomy, mm. um, you have to have an area where people feel they can. And actually, that doesn't mean you sit around and have a meeting, a feelings meeting. I found, a bit like we were saying, that the more open and vulnerable you are to people they therefore are forthcoming. So people often say to me, God, I tell you the weirdest things, Farah. That's not because I'm a great journalist or it's not because I ask the right questions. It's often because, and I'm sure you find this, is I tell a lot about my life. Because, I'd, A, I don't fear judgment anymore, but, mm-hmm. but B, um, I think if you volunteer information, then then other people will. Um, so, so that's, sorry, that's the first bit of the question. Then the second bit of the question, I don't know why they asked me to do these jobs. I think... Uh, well, women's health, I wasn't asked to do the job. They had an editor there already, and she she walked out because I think she thought, to hell with this, it's just not, it's too hard, too much like hard work. Um, and interestingly, she's an editor I really like. So I was drafted in. I was like, um, I was like a last-minute draft in. So 
I had um, moved back from Australia where Women's Health was a very successful magazine. I didn't work on it. It was on the office. It was in the office kind of down the corridor from where I worked at Marie Claire. It was a massive success. And then I um, I heard on the grapevine through someone that there was this kind of semi-launch of women's health. And I was working on a health magazine at the time. It was a really nice job. It was four days a week on five-day-a-week pay. It was really comfortable, really comfortable. Um, and someone said, there's this job going and, and you should throw your hat in the ring. And so I did. And then I did think it was weird. They offered me the the job almost straight away and then they said but we need you to walk out of your current job that you need to walk out and I remember I walked as I was about to walk out somebody from this other company said to me let me give you a word of advice you are going to make real enemies if you do this and she was really threatening this woman anyway I did it regardless um so actually I think women's health I got that job not because I'm particularly talented I think I probably um I, I wanted it perhaps the most and I was prepared the sacrifices you know the the salary was very bad as well it was mm. not an editor's salary um but but the I mean it actually wasn't much more than I was on on the, the kind of four day a week thing but I was prepared to do it and that sacrifice that, mm. that that you know I mean I remember the hours were so long at women's health um that I remember I, I think it was on my 33rd birthday my husband had made me dinner and I literally I literally I remember I fell asleep at, while I was in the middle of eating it and and some people would go, oh, my God, you're a mug. Like, why would you? But that's the sacrifice. That's mm. what it took. And so I think with Cosmo, though I, I could be incorrect about this, I think there were two reasons. One, my CEO um, was a real mentor to me. She called Anna Jones. She was amazing. And I remember she said, she goes, I think you know what women want, or as good as, because mm. all women are very different, of course. Um, but also I think she'd seen what I could do on women's health. And mm. I think she knew Cosmo was going to be really hard. And I think she needed somebody who who went in with their eyes wide open. You know, she said to me, and they were a lovely team, the Cosmo team, when I walked in, and it was really upsetting to me that they 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 didn't have the, you know, I don't know, there was they didn't believe in me or they'd been there a long time. And I remember saying to them, it's going to be really tough, guys, but the toughness means it's going to change, and for for lots of different reasons, a lot of them left, and and you know, I still see some of them now, and I wish they had stayed. Um, but but I think that's why I got the Cosmo job as well. I think, A, I made a success of women's health. Mm. But also, I think the real reason was um, it was going to be hard. Mm. And, and, you know, I think my boss knew I need somebody who's not only understands magazines, this is more about uh, perhaps a strength of character thing, somebody mm. who knows that it's going to be tough and that they're not not to give up. And there were moments when, you know, I remember my my um, one of the ladies, very senior person, who I didn't know at the time, I was in the office at 10 o'clock at night, and she'd heard, I think, on the grapevine that everybody was resigning. And she came in, she works in the event company, and she put a bottle of champagne on my, my desk, and she went, one day we'll be opening this and it will all be okay. Um, and then she just walked out. It was a very cool thing to do. Um, I mean, I never opened it because I barely drink, but uh, so I've actually still got it at home. Um, but, but, but it was hard, is my point, I suppose. Mm. It was very hard. And I'm very honest about, you know, in the book, perhaps I don't go into as much detail. It was really hard and mm. soul-destroying. Every time you'd see someone approaching my uh, my door, I remember at one point I went, you're resigning. And they go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. How do you not take that personally? Well, you do take it personally. Well, you... You do and you don't because if you are a, if you are a boss, everything's personal and everything's not personal. Do you know what I mean? It's like when I say to people, when I tell you off, you have to understand. I've forgotten about it soon. It's personal. Actually, it's never personal when I'm telling people off. It's usually because you know, the structure is, is off on, on something they've written. But 
you have to take you have to take the personal out of it because I think if you took everything personally you'd be a mess Mm -hmm. you'd be an absolute mess and of course what people see you like at work and what they see you outside of work are very different so um yes it would be very hard not to take it personally and in the beginning I did but but that faded Mm -hmm. after after a while you know I, I I don't tend to take anything personally anymore mm. and that just comes with age and again it, it's um it's probably a good instinct isn't it it's the pattern recognition from going through tough things and you know having people resign under me or you know I've not always been popular in, in jobs I've done you don't take it personally you know mm. this this is life and if you do take it personally you're probably not made of the right composition I think to, to be a boss and I I decided that very early on is that I if I wanted to be the boss I'm, I don't get to also be goes back to having it all I don't also get to go and have drinks with you and talk about mm-hmm. my sex life in the pub and also god forbid nobody would ever my, my team would not want to know that that you know <laughs> um that you know I have a real understanding that no matter when people go oh come on Farah please come for one they don't want you there they really don't as much as they the gesture is there mm-hmm. nobody wants their boss in that room drinking with them and 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 you know getting pissed with them I, I don't think that and I don't think it's good um I think you give them money and you go go out and have an amazing time mm-hmm. and I'll see you on Monday morning but that's the sacrifice you don't get to be boss and best friend you have to choose and you have to be okay with that in your TED talk, you mentioned, and it brings me back to this point, is what we we're just talking about. About um, you would have maybe described yourself as aloof as a child, right? Or you would have been described as yes, even though actually the truth is probably you were very quiet. sensitive, very introvert. sensitive, and very quiet. Yeah, um, and yet that might appear aloof to some people. The fact that you don't go to the pub yet, yeah. I know people who work with you and have done under various titles and the feedback is always unbelievably positive. And I'm not saying this just because you're in the room. And you have obviously got a way of nurturing incredible content out of people. And one of my favourite pieces I've ever read in my (laughs) entire life is Amy Greer's piece on Can You Die From A Broken Heart. Oh, yes, yeah. Which actually was her idea. And yeah. I talked to her about it because I then crossed over with her. I was on Women's Health briefly. Yes, yeah, yes, you were with us. Not when you were there. You would. Was gone. I not there then? No, no, no you was were it gone. Katie was there. Yes, right. You had been sequestered away. <laughs> but but we were in the same room. Were you at Red at one time when I was at Cosmo? Yes. I do remember our path crossing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but this was a while before, and then I became friendly with Amy, who I just think is an incredible writer. Which is why she's now at Cosmo. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I. Um, was very I, I think I had fangirled her quite hard about that piece oh. and I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I think it's just a perfectly constructed feature. Yeah. And I we became friendly and we would go out and buy coffee. <laughs> you know she loves buying her coffee yes. for her French press. And I said to her one day, you know, um <clears throat> that feature was <laughs> really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And then she began to tell me about the mechanics of putting it together. Right. And how it was a like she really had to wrestle with it. It was tough. And yeah. then she talked about how you helped her construct it in the sense of you were a, a part of she was having all this tr- not trouble, but she was pulling all these component pieces together and sort of helped her steer it. And I think that's right. the um, sign of a really good editor. So there's a nurturing. Oh well, ho- hopefully. I mean, yeah, Amy. I mean, Amy is one of those. Going back to mm. what we talked about, I, I. I well, I made. A, she did leapfrog. She was a junior writer at Stylist. I, I said, I'm going to take a risk on you, and I'm going to make you my features editor. 
also because I didn't have a lot of money to pay. So <laughs> she, she knows that. But but I saw talent in her. Mm. I don't know if she, I don't think she did want more money from me. But but she then got offered a job on a really prestigious uh, magazine, and I was like, take the job. And she came back. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, so they do come back, and she's now like my associate editor in Cosmo. Um, yeah, I think that it's like I said, the nurturing is like if you have these skills, what's the use of these skills mm. without channeling them? And, and actually, you know, my my the the features team who I adore, I adore all the team. I have to say, I, I love all of Cosmo. They are such an amazing team. Um, but, but the features team, they are, I do ask a lot of them. The beauty team as well, actually, I ask a lot of because I say to them, your best story, and I mean this the greatest one in the world, is not going to be about perfume. Your greatest story is going to be about you and it's going to be something that's very, very raw and it's probably going to be something you don't want to write about. Mm-hmm. And if you absolutely go home and think about it over the weekend and come back and go, Farah, I don't want to write about this, fine. But if there is a, if there is a, a part of you that feels you want to write about this, because most people, it's like first book syndrome, isn't it? People go why is the second book never as good as the first book? Mm. And I think it was Stephen Fry. Somebody said, well, usually the first books have been in people's heads their entire life. Mm. And then the second book, they've got to turn it around. And usually most people will have one story in them. Uh, We've just done one about our beauty assistant who had a nose job and she wrote the piece and she submitted it and it was fine. Do you know what? It probably would have gone in. And I went, I need you to rewrite this. And I said, it's not because it's not good I said but you have spent a lifetime thinking about this and making sense of this because she's unhappy with it I said go and write another piece and, and we talked it through and I, I guided them which is the right thing to do but it's ultimately their it's their mm. piece so it, it goes back to being tough and putting them in their discomfort zone I mm. suppose that you're never going to get a good piece of writing if you feel comfortable you're new with your adrenaline you know before you start writing never going to get the best piece mm. you need a bit of push and the push either comes internally or it comes from an editor. But you know what? In my career, I have had instances where, I mean, when I joined Cosmo, I got in trouble early on because there was a writer who I wanted to write a piece and I thought the writer was up to, up for doing it. And I came in, it was my birthday, I came in on the following Monday and I was called into a meeting going, there's a feeling you might be pushing people into writing stuff that they don't feel comfortable writing. And I was like, Really? And we had this big meeting and, and, and it transpired actually that this person did want to write this feature and the feature was bloody amazing in the end. But they felt they hadn't been asked to do it mm-hmm. before. They hadn't been pushed. And, and I guess that just comes from different bosses' style. It's like if you want a comfortable life and if you want to write stuff, which, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you produce terrible work if you're comfortable because that's the wrong thing, but you probably wouldn't come and work for me. I think probably, and I don't know if this is your experience, of people you know who have worked under me but I do push people quite mm. hard and so I think at, at times in my life I I maybe have pushed some people too hard um not many actually but but you have to know you have to know when mm. to go do you know what and, and I, I I'm on a learning process too I know you know some people's some people love it and some people don't like it and and, and probably the people who don't like it so much don't 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 stay very long but mm. but the people who like it goes back to we need you know human beings are designed to carry a load um struggle sometimes i mean you know um in in the book marcia kilgore who i'm sure you know launched bliss she talks about there's a slog and there's a grind and then there's success and success is this tiny thing at the top and you don't get it for very long mm. then you're back on the grind again and she was like slog is when you're just working and working and nothing changes but grind is that real challenge state where you're 
really working very hard, but you can feel things moving and changing. Mm. And that's what I try and say to the writers. The grind state is where the really, really good stuff happens. Mm. And the success is when you win the award, which, which a lot of them, I'm delighted to say, have won now. Um, and they've all come from pieces they found very difficult to write about. Mm. It's a very long answer. So no, I'm not sure what the question was. I think it's really interesting because... Obviously, when one writes, I mean, I, I've had this, I would love to be able to write a feature, submit it to you, and for you to say, Emma, this is perfect, no changes. But... That has happened only once. <laughs> to something going in the next issue. <laughs> okay. But she spent a life... It's been in her head for a lifetime. That's why it's perfect. Well, that's actually what Eve said previously on the podcast when she was talking about her first album had been her entire life. Right. And then her second album, she had to turn around in 10 weeks. So there you go. And, 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 so, and so the perfection comes because mm. actually we're naturally, the brain is a natural storyteller, isn't it? We're mm. telling ourselves in our heads, you know, we're the heroes of our own story. But, but, but because it's a natural storyteller, if that's been her entire life, as has the piece that, that this lady has just submitted um, to me, which was perfect, um, technically a perfect piece of writing, you make sense. Of, do you know what I mean? Mm. So, so the perfection is just taking a very, very long time to do. So... You know, you may, I may email you back and go, Emma, this is perfect, but I, I guarantee it would be on something that you've been thinking about writing about for years of your life. I've never had that from anyone <laughs> going, it's perfect. But it's also the fact that I uh, was talking to a young journalist, which sounds patronising, but she's 24. Right. And she was She's really, young to you and I. Yeah, she's young to me. Yes. Um, she was really crushed because she had submitted something and it came back with lots of changes and right. she took it as... I can't write because she really respected the commissioning editor. And I just said to her, I could write something that would, in my mind, me as an editor would think, well, Emma, you've done a perfect job here. Right. And I could send it out to three of my buddies with varying experience in the media and they would all have input. So don't take it as you can't write. No. Take it as they are helping you shape that bit of clay. That's it. I guess that's when it comes back to what you're saying about the nurturing. It's how mm. do you give it back? Do you give it back as a red rag mm -hmm. and go redo it whereas or do you give it back and go I'm going to talk you through exactly why this sometimes in my team it's like your sentence is good but if you did this can you see the difference between the two so and of course you have to be careful it doesn't sound like you've been patronising mm. of course but but it, I guess it's the way the way in which you tell people of course it's very difficult if your friend was freelance and you've got a commissioning editor who is probably bashing out is editing hundreds of things mm. you don't have time and that's when I feel for freelancers that's why I actually think young journalists um should work on a magazine and then you go freelance later yes. on because that is demoralizing mm. when it, when they just go can you just do a second draft it's not right it's really mm. hard yeah whereas you know if it Cosmo we would go through it line line by line that is hard. It is crushing. Is that what you do? You would sit with the writer? Yeah, and, and, and I go through it. And, and yeah, I, I, I go through line by line. And, and sometimes, you know, you feel a bit of a beast because, you know, but, but this is the good thing, I think, about my team is that even the really senior people I will go through. And, of course, I will say to them, I put this in. This isn't right. Do what you think is right. Um, and some people can say, well, it's just it's heavy editing what you do, Farah. But but they can always change it. But, but I do I do go through it line by line. Mm. Um, I think after a while you have to stop. If you if you're doing that all the mm. time with someone, then then it's slog, isn't it? It's not grind. Yeah. It's not moving. But uh, yeah, you know the the yeah. We, I wish I'd had that experience on magazines. I never did. It was baptism of fire. It was yeah. Well, I didn't. Do you know what? I didn't have it. Um, and and so I think, why do I do it? 
do you know what? On a very, very deep level, it's prob- probably because I don't have any kids. You know, it's, pro- it's probably, what do I do with all this stuff? Well, mm. you you give it back to people. And, yeah, I, I, that's probably why. And also, do you know what? Um, I did have an amazing editorial director on women's health um, who, he was over men's health, but he ba- he was... He was he was amazing to me actually. He went through everything almost line by line and was like, "This is how you do a cover. This is how many letters you need. This is the color that works." Oh, wow. To to that level, and I remember he had a manual. It was like a magic <sighs> manual, which I still have in my locker. It was a magic manual of how you make a magazine, and he was like, "Here, this is like from me to you." It was an amazing act of generosity, um, and he was not an easy man, but he pushed me like you know. But but I think something in me responded to him pushing but yeah so so actually I did get that probably mm-hmm. I didn't get it with my writing but I certainly got it in how to edit a magazine um and that was again he'd learned the hard mm-hmm. way but but he had with men's health had created a phenomenally successful product and he was like do this and it will it will be a success have you ever been pushed or have you ever been guided by somebody senior and have you ever had to say this isn't the right way this isn't I I'm not going to respond to this back back down no, I don't think I have. I've had um, I've had nightmare jobs, um, and, and and again, I think they're really important to have bad yeah. jobs in in your. You probably don't want too many. If you start having loads of bad jobs, I would say look at the pattern. Is there something in you? Mm-hmm. But I think to have one or two bad jobs is really important because then you know the difference between what is a job where you're feeling challenged but it's hard, mm. and what's just a nightmare job that changes the color of everything. And I've had one of those. Um, and for a long time, I thought the boss was wrong. With hindsight, I think I wasn't good enough to do the job I was doing. It was when I was in Australia. So I made all my mistakes out there. So no one knows about them. Uh, I don't think I was good enough for the job. Um, and, and you know what? The, the editor was a bit... Um, she she was... Uh, I'm very fond of that editor, actually. But she was quite loud and quite brash. Um, and was famously so. And at the time, I, I, I was very angry against her. But now I think... I I was not good enough for that job and she was probably right. So mm. no, I've never I've never had that to be honest. And actually I think if I didn't agree with the manager that goes back to it depends if it's a manager who I think they're better than me at their job, they would do exactly what they're asking of me. Mm. Then I would try and see their point of view. There must be method in the madness. I think it's those managers where they they expect um respect by hierarchy mm-hmm. without showing anything for it that's difficult to take instructions from. But but I've never had that. I've been yeah. really lucky. My bosses have all been people that I go, you should absolutely be my boss. You you, you are much better uh, than, than I am. It's difficult. It's that pedestal thing. It's putting them on a pedestal for a right reason and not just because they have not just of the, the boss. superior job yeah. title. Yes, that's it. But they've got to work for that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like I have to work for my team's approval as much as they have to work for the approval of of me it's both of us have Mm. to do it in very very different ways and I think you can forget that as a boss you don't just get to be boss because you're earning more money and you got the title Mm -hmm. you got to show that that you've got your place there do you think there is a pivotal discomfort zone moment that has defined your ability to use it as a positive in your adult life I think, um, well, I, I think it wasn't one moment, it was more a series of moments. Um, it, was, it was probably the, the first, um, those six weeks, six or eight weeks, I forget now, it's all a blur, um, of building women's health from scratch, so so creating a brand with, with nothing, mm-hmm. um, and realising that 
everything that made us, everything we thought made us weak, no money, no time, mm. no staff, was the thing that made us strong. So the the, the lack of constraint. Yeah. And, and actually in the book, I, I remember I was starting to think about constraint and how it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting constraint because why would anybody want to impose constraints? Whereas mm. now, of course, I like to impose constraints, time limits, mm-hmm. teams. I always take a person out of a team if they're working on a project. Um, when I looked into it, it was things like the impressionists, of course. They only they, they confine themselves to using certain brushstrokes and certain colours. Um, you know, Steven Spielberg, I think this is in the book, but, but if it's not, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, with Jaws, he, he thought he was going to use a massive mechanical shark, and the shark broke down he couldn't use it and so he was forced to rely on well of course in jaws yes, da, 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 da. yes that's it on, on two notes and pretty much never seeing the shark and of course in jaws when you do see the shark at the end kind of looks silly that mechanical it looks yeah. really disappointing because <laughs> nothing is as scary as the water and, and john williams's mm. music mm. and it is born of constraint so women's health without doubt is is um was the pivotal those pivotal six weeks i think were, were changed everything it's when it made me realize discomfort can absolutely be a, a force for good if you understand it you know i'm not yeah. telling people to go out and just be in panic mode the whole time no that. no but i think in it when we are by the very nature of everyday life forced into a fight or flight yeah um, physical reaction just by walking down the street with advertising or by the smell coming out of shops or I shouldn't say smell but you know the aromas coming out of various right. shops to try and lure you in it's sensory overload and it does force your why adre- can't you say smell because I'm because I'm a beauty journalist oh I, I see say okay the aromas okay yeah <laughs> yeah yep. but but because but I'm thinking of um Abercrombie and Fitch and it makes me gag that I hate Does that have an aroma? Is it of like they, oiled men or something? They pump out that scent and it, it, it genuinely, it makes me go. <coughs> oh, okay. I, I just think about, I mean, they probably can't do it anymore, right? Do they still have the half-naked men? I always felt sorry for them. I don't know. Surely they can't. Because we got rid of the naked centrefold because it was like, if you don't want to be objectified as a woman, we can't, can't do this, do no. And I often used to think about Aber- Abercrombie. <laughs> it's like those poor men. And they were always like someone's young teenage son. Yeah. And it was like, it's just like hooters, really. It's kind of the same. Mm. And, and you know, I, I was guilty. I would used to go at my office at Glamour's around the corner. You'd go and you'd giggle and you'd laugh at them. It's like, how how awful. I know. I mean, it, they probably didn't think it was awful, but they may have done, you know. No, I felt really bad the other evening because I was objectifying Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Chris Evans and Chris Pine on Unless social media. Unless they want to be objectified. I don't um, think they do. No. <laughs> no, I don't think they do. No, I was just suggesting, you know, if you were to spend... I want to start a magazine called The Chris You, which is just a magazine about all four. Some editors have already turned it down. Um, <laughs> but I was just joking. It was very lighthearted. It was like, if you could spend a day with the Chrises, how would you spend it? And right. it wasn't, nothing sexual was implied, but obviously right. it's like... But it was. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yes, Your interpretation. Was. And I and afterwards I thought, if, if a man put that about women, I would be pretty disgusted. And so I was like... It's really hard, isn't it? Because... Mm. At the same time, you also don't... I don't want to live in a world where... It's like where people go, you can't flirt anymore. And it's like, well, what a shame that you Mm. can't flirt. Because that is one of our deepest impulses is, I fancy you, I would like to flirt with you. Mm -hmm. So I've been to Christmas parties recently where they are just so boring it's just like men in a corner scared of what to do looking for mistletoe and running from right it. exactly yeah i mean you won't be able to have mistletoe soon no um so it's really interesting yes you absolutely should if you don't want to be objectified then, then then you you shouldn't do it but then there is also the argument and this is why there is no blanket rule for everything mm. it's like a lot of women i know don't like to be objectified 
some women, they like to be object. You know what? If a man appreciates her wearing a dress, that that's okay. Mm. It, it, it's how you interpret it, really. Um, but, yeah, if the Hensworth is to walk down the street and you start wolf whistling, I'd probably say it's not appropriate, Emma. Um, <laughs> Unless of course he was like, unless of course he was like, yeah, to, I'm totally. Do you know what I mean? I so exactly. so yeah. everything is so individual, and and, mm. and and that's why, you know, sometimes I think it's great what's happening at the moment where we have lots of of, of, of big groups and mass movements, and you know the women's movement is wonderful, is brilliant. You know, it's probably one of the most significant changes to have happened, but within that spectrum of women, everyone is different. Mm. So. And actually, the, the piece that I was telling you about, which is... Um, when is this coming out? When the book comes out. All right, so I I can tell you about this piece because it's on sale now. So the piece that I said came in, which is Perfection, is a really, really um, interesting piece. And I suspect if I don't have complaints waiting in my inbox now, I will get complaints about it. But the piece is about a young woman who was raped. And... Uh, to cut a long story short, she, she was raped in America and she attended a university where a lot of the Me Too um, kind of, not its origins exactly, but, but it was a university which was very famous for, it was very vocal on, on, um, on men um, and consent. And there was a very famous, I don't know if you remember this, there was a very famous um, rape which was alleged to have happened on this campus, it was Columbia. And the, the, the young lady in question, she took it to the university and the university said there's not enough evidence. I think that's what happened. And so what this young woman did is she walked around for the rest of the year with a mattress um, attached to her. And, and um, she had something written, she had something written on the mattress. But it, basically, it, it was a statement, basically. And across Columbia University, there were these big kind of signs everywhere going, rapists live here. And it, was, it became, um, in America... Um, a, a real a real seminal moment and so anyway so, so the writer who has written this piece for us was at columbia at the time and she was raped she wasn't raped on campus she was raped off campus and it was really interesting because after the rape she didn't tell anyone at first and she she said she dealt with it and it was horrible of course it was horrible but she said interestingly i she was bullied very 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 badly when she was younger and she said, nothing will ever compare to how bad that was. I think she had like an arm broken. I mean, it was severe. So she said, so I dealt with the rape and it was awful and I wish it never happened, but I dealt with it. But when she told people later on about it, she said, actually, the women's group at the university said, you need to be a spokesperson for this now. Like you, you have a duty to talk about this. Mm. And she said, I don't want to, this is my choice. And it's interesting in the piece. And of course it's a very nuanced piece and I'm probably being very gauche saying this, but what, what the piece explores is, is when you don't agree, if somebody believes they are the force for good, which of course on, on this campus, these women believe they were the force for good mm. and largely they, they probably were. But when it came to this writer, they weren't because she felt pressured into something she didn't want. And she said when they turned on her, she said in many ways it was as difficult as the rape and actually her difficulties came from the movement on campus. And, and so I wow. suppose my point is, which I'm very um, being very inarticulate about, is that... The thing about groups is they are brilliant in some ways because they 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 they, they gather momentum. Mm -hmm. But what you can't forget, and you see this in you remember when you used to be at school and you used to have you used to the, the teacher used to divide you into two groups. You go your team B, your team A, mm -hmm. and you were competing. The minute your friend went into team B, they stopped to be your friend. They were part of team B, and and a group it's like at football matches. They're just a silhouette, and you don't see the people within it. Mm -hmm. And that 
I think is is a, is a worry. Mm. You know, that, and, and that and so this piece explore explores that. So it's a it's a brilliant brilliant piece of writing. Um, that's that's out, but I will also put the link to it if it's going to be online. It will be online. Okay, yeah, it will that be will online. be in the show notes. Um, I'm very mindful that we're coming to the end of our time together. So I. Um, want to thank you. We've been raving on for an hour and 25 minutes, oh, can wow. you believe? And I'm aware that you have a magazine to edit. <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, overall, the discomfort zone, I, as I said to you, I found it incredibly easy to read. I felt like I was, I literally felt like it held my hand through experience that I, experiences that I've had, validated a lot of my anxieties in terms of those live TV moments where I've just been able to perform and it made me it made me understand all of those impulses that potentially you can't control really it really made me understand them well so I think that's highly valuable it's supposed to be very very practical Mm. but you know if that came in if I was the editor of that my editor is amazing it's far from perfect you know that's that's not it's not perfect piece writing I'm happy with the book (laughs) but uh but that's right nothing is ever finished it's like I think it's Pixar they send they send the films out it's never finished it could always be good enough well, there's so many people. It could always be better. Somewhere. Yeah, there's so many people I've had on who've written books who say, "If I'd had another month, it yeah, would have been it's never finished." And never. I think that's fine. I, I actually, and the the tagline for it, I don't know if tagline's the right word. That's very movie. Is it like a subcell or something? Subcell. Sub-sell. That's very magazine. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's a subcell. How to get what you want by living fear- fearlessly. And I watched a, a talk. It was a TED talk with my good friend Tim. You Ferris. like TED talks. When I was depressed and yeah. I didn't have people that I felt comfortable going to because I felt like I'd been too vulnerable right. and I was sick and tired of seeing pity in people's eyes or right. or, or them yeah. rolling their eyes thinking, oh, God, is she really going on about this again? I looked to okay. the internet yeah. <laughs> and TED Talks and Tim Ferriss does a brilliant talk about fear setting. Yes, I've seen it. Which yes. I think, which really yes. reminded me of this. So you should do a joint TED Talk and then introduce me to Tim. Are you a fan? I ju- well, Are you objectifying him? No, I'm not objectifying <laughs> I'm joking. Him. He is very handsome. He is. No, he... Um, it was his podcast because he, he interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a hero of mine, and I listened... God, you are a kid of the 80s. Yeah. He used to be a skinny, and Aus- a skinny Austrian kid and everything he set his mind to, he achieved. Yeah, yeah. I admire that. That's why yeah. I have a heart-shaped locket with his name on it. Really? Yeah. He's a... T- Sh- should maybe kept his hands off his nanny <laughs> yeah the, the, was it the, the, the housekeeper was it, was it the housekeeper absolutely yeah. I'm not that is not stuff that I approve of <laughs> but but the fact that he said right I'm I'm a skinny boy I want to become the biggest yeah. man biggest strongest man and he did it I want to marry he wanted, he married into the freaking Kennedys yeah yeah and then he became the governor of California then he said I'm not only going to become the biggest movie star in the world but every time I do a movie the next movie I'm going to earn double so he earned half a million then a million, then two million, then four million. He literally... So he manifested. He Well, he manifested and he just... I mean, I do think some of his tactics, he used to amog people. So if he'd be in the gym and people would say, I'd never want to be as big as you. And he would look at them and say, that's fine, you never will be. <laughs> like he, he, he knew how to cut people down, but with yes. a smile. And I think one of his sayings is, um, uh, kill people with your success and then bury them with a smile. Or something like that. It's basically... He's, uh, you know what, I think because of the voice, you, you think he's not bright. And everyone I know, I know someone who used to work for him, said he's... Pardon? So, yes, I have a contact. Um, the, the contact also said they did see him with the... You might have to edit this out. They did see him with <laughs> the, ha- the housekeeper once. Just 
touched his bow tie, just straightened it, and he just thought, <coughs> yeah, not, not, not sure about that. But he said he was a genius. He, he, he's so, so clever, yeah. He's a dream podcast guest, but Tim's had him on the show, and so when I was feeling very, very blue, and I was looking blue, I'm really, like sugarcoating it but I would look for things like that and I remember listening to that podcast and then I listened to his podcast with Triple H I listened to his podcast with loads of people and because of that it was as if where my own brain was sort of kicking me when I was down it there were things going in that were actually building me up again right and so I will always be very grateful to Tim Ferriss for that and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold Schwarzenegger well I'm sure we'll have we'll have conversations with both of them one day I'm very excited about this book. I'm very pleased that A, you wrote it, and B, I got to ingest it in one sitting. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, listeners, the links to buy The Discomfort Zone and to Farah, all of her social channels, to Farah, sorry, I keep saying Farah, um, Farah and um, Cosmopolitan, the features that we've talked about, everything will be in the show notes on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and wherever it is that you might be streaming or downloading this particular episode. But for now, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the show with Vara. If you want to get in touch with me, please, 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 it's so easy. One of my favourite things is getting emails from listeners. So just drop me a message to thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or if you feel more comfortable, why not just send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram where I'm at Emma Guns. It's a joy, joy, joy to hear from you. If you are enjoying the episode and you never want to miss one, just go over to wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Acast or any other streaming service and click that subscribe button. That way you'll get a notification every time a new episode drops. And if you do love the show, and I really sincerely hope that you do, I would be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review and perhaps a couple of sentences about what you enjoyed about a particular episode or the podcast in general. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you, and I will see you on the next one. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.